Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. It is a total treat to welcome my next guest to Open House. He was born in Dublin, Ireland, and moved to Australia aged six. He's been described as simply the best singer-songwriter to emerge in the Australian Christian music scene. He trained as a teacher, then went bush with his wife to the Cornerstone Christian community at Burke in Outback, New South Wales. He's a nine-time Golden Guitar winner, an APRA and ARIA award winner with career album and DVD sales that stand in excess of 240,000 units. Not bad. He's been a presenter on Play School, a regular on Carols in the Domain, and since the mid-1990s, Colin Buchanan has devoted much of his time to producing albums of Christian music, and his latest project represents a really interesting turn for him. He's a joy to watch, to sing along with, and to be with Colin Buchanan. Welcome to Open House. Thank you very much, Lee. I, just as you're reading that out, I thought, I'd, I'd like to meet this guy. <laughs> it's all true. I'm, I'm here to say it's all true. Oh, Believe it. It's great to see you and meet you. Thank you oh, so much for coming in. Thank you. Can I ask you your earliest musical memory? Well, it, I mean, it must have been in Dublin because I do have mental pictures of, of living in Dublin. And um, I, I think it might have been in church, like church music, yeah. perhaps. Or um, I've always loved, you know, the folk songs, songs with a story, you know. So maybe floating around there is Paddy McGinty's Goat or <laughs> Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> I've seen that in Dublin, actually. Yeah, there you go. Many memories of Dublin. Yeah, it was just a lovely, secure childhood. And, I mean, it wasn't all my childhood. It was only a few years. But, um, you know, I had an aunt and a granny, and we would visit them, and we lived in a street where we played with the kids. And um, I went to a lovely little school that was started by the Quakers, and it was a very embracing sort of place. I felt very much like I was part of a community. So... You know, those formative years were really just warm, rich, secure, happy family, three sisters. That was the, That's probably the only negative. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ladies. No, that feeling, do you? Um, <laughs> why'd they come to Australia? Dad lost his job. He was a papermaker, which is, there's not many of them. No. But uh, I think my parents looked at, you know, a number of options where the paper industry was operational. Uh, so I could have, it's a curious thing, years later I was in Fort William and uh, in Scotland and that was one of the places we could have gone to because there was a paper mill there and um, paper mills in, in Canada as well and South Africa. But I think my mum, who's a keen cricketer, thought, well, if we have to go somewhere in Australia, mm. you know, be, with, with the yes. cricket connection. Yeah. And uh, although she still goes... She still goes for England. <laughs> Does she really? Just oh, staunchly. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At what stage did you know about music in your head, where you wanted to go with it? Was there a time when it moved from being something that was just there to thinking, oh, no, I'd like to follow this, pursue it? Music's an interesting thing because music's sort of got this math side to it where, you know, intervals and chords and scales and technique that's very mechanical and methodical and mathematical. And then there's the other side of music, which is creative and untamed and spontaneous and that was an undisciplined at times and that's that's more my side <laughs> so that meant that walking around the back garden making up songs about what I was doing and just freewheeling you know I, I never had a music lesson as I was growing up dad came home with a ukulele one day I, I, to this day I don't know why it wasn't anyone's birthday or anything like that and it was the e to z easy ukulele method 
and and a ukulele and we we all sort of picked up a few chords on this thing but you know I just liked the thought that I could play a song and I was always making up songs I wouldn't say I was writing songs it was making them up a lot of people are like that but not many move on to making it their career no when did that happen well, it's interesting because uh, you, you mentioned Burke and Cornerstone Community and that entwined in, in a really interesting way. I mean, I became a Christian as a kid, so I've always had a sense of just the comfort of knowing God and the sense of destiny and his care for you and wanting to do things that count in terms of, of him as as my Lord and mentor and guide and saviour. And um, so our trip to Burke was very much about making that faith central and Cornerstone was just a really great place and great way to do that and music didn't factor in that I'd been writing songs before that and they tended to be influenced a bit by sort of strident sort of folkiness in some ways and uh, either that or I'd written them for youth group and they were God songs you know and uh, just songs for us to sing together corporately it's just curious to me that a decision to go to Burke which is the exact opposite direction that anyone would go to pursue a musical career was really the path into music were there people who said yeah, you should pursue this, or was that something that you felt in your own kind of mind and heart? Well, it's a funny thing, and I often think the songwriter or any creative exercise is in, inherently a little bit egotistical, that you think what I'm going to make, what I'm going to do, or sculpt or paint is something that people need to see. It needs to come out, and people need to see it. I just was writing songs about what I saw, and I was getting good feedback. And in fact, it was my desire to get some objective input about that. I guess I felt I didn't sort of have aspirations I liked playing my songs for people. I liked sharing my stories. But I gave a couple of tapes out, one of which was to John Williamson, actually, when he came through in 1988 and uh, after his show. And I, I can't say exactly what he said, but he didn't. He said, I get a lot of tapes. And uh, <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, uh, and the following year, that was 89, I, there was a band called The Flying Emus. It was a, a country band that was just, I really loved their stuff. And I gave them a tape. And in fact, John wrote back and just said, thanks for, thanks for that. But, but John Kane from the Flying Emus wrote back and said, oh, I love this stuff and I played it to my publisher and my record company and they who were festival and they said they'd like to hear a bit more and uh, it'd be great to produce a record you know if we could do that and it, you know it wasn't big cigars and Cadillacs and you know stretch limos and all that it was it was a, an opportunity and it was the feedback that I thought oh well, that's great it's and I just sort of went with it a thrill all the same though. oh it was I, yeah. that, that letter I had in my back pocket and walking around the little town of Grenfell in the <laughs> central west and saying look at the letter I just <laughs> got written you've yeah. obviously had a great joy and passion to give kids a musical life why do you think they need that and what does it give kids? I think it's great to remember what it was like to be a kid because despite appearances, everyone used to be one. That lovely, secure experience of childhood, it was a base that I'm really grateful to God for and my parents for. Just in the same way that people who have horrendous childhoods have a huge hill to climb and uh but i just remember the joy of music and discovering music as a child and i liked hearing stories and to be able to bring that to kids is great and kids have that in them as well and uh so i when i was teaching i would write songs with the class the first one we did was a chant someone had said why don't you write a song with your class and i said how do you do that and just one day, just before lunch, I said, we're just about to go out to lunch. And that became a chant that these kids would sort of stomp their way out of the class. <laughs> oh, and, really? you know, it was lovely. And, yeah. and, and it was their song. It so, must be a great thrill performing to see kids grabbing this and going yeah. with it. Yeah, and they really and do. Up. Well, as you'd appreciate. Yeah, they either um, 
they're either with you or they're not. So <laughs> there's no middle ground. They're not polite. So uh, engaging kids, you get them all. If you get them, you get them boots and all. And and there's it's very it's just lively and fun and. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could be cynical about performing and do the same old thing. But I've always, because I've got a short attention span, <laughs> I, I, I like to, yeah. you know, I like to entertain myself. And you can sense when someone's entertaining themselves. It's a bit <laughs> of a juggle, though, being the joyous kind of performer that you are, but also being a business and a career. Is that much of mm. a juggle for you? Look, it is. I, I mean, I've been really grateful that, you know, I haven't sort of had to live on the smell of an oily rag. And I've also had the experience of seeing, of being a bit repelled by the gratuitous self-promotion that can happen in, in people's careers. And I think if as a Christian, I'm someone who's entrusted my life to God, then integrity demands that I live in that way. And I do that imperfectly, but I think that's where the rubber meets the road. It's not some creed that sits in the back of my mind, but if he must be greater and I must be less, that's a challenge to take into every sphere of life for all of us. And um, I'm not saying I do it perfectly, but that is discipleship. It's sort of really yeah, living in you and through you. The business side, sometimes I just wish... I didn't have to worry about it. And, uh, you know, I'm much more interested in writing songs than working out what's, for instance, at the moment, what's going to happen between physical product and digital product and retail and all those things that have been sort of chugging away quite neatly and nicely for the music industry. And I, people don't know, even the big record companies don't know what's going to happen to it. It's no, been, you know, it's no changing. One does about no. anything in the future. No, that's right. What are the ways in which you think your faith has added a richness or a depth? to your music, either in performance or in songwriting. You know, there's a great old hymn that says, this is my father's world. And it's, uh, I, I just love that hymn because it, it's like a wander through the woods and there there he is, what he's done. And uh, But you can wander through an art gallery and there he is. And, I mean, he's, he's used the means of the creatures that he's made to just create this incredible richness. I mean, it's funny because you'd say my faith, well, that's like the goggles that I look at this world through. Whereas I actually think if it's true, it's already like that. What I believe about it, whether someone's listening to this and say, well, I don't believe that about the world. That's what I believe and what you believe really doesn't affect what actually is. And that is that the fingerprints of God are on every single miraculous, wonderful, beautiful, good thing in this world. So... If I want that to affect my creative life, that's a very fundamental drive. And uh, and again, just the credit goes to him as well. Just I, I love that I serve a creator. It's a great way of putting it. On Open House, we're with the great Colin Buchanan, who promises a song before we finish this conversation. Oh, well, I'm still thinking about it. The I haven't promised. There. I haven't promised. I said I might. I've got, I've, <laughs> just, just to prove that the guitar is here. Okay, play that, sound, play that sound effect of the guitar now. Good. Okay, turn it off. Nice C major guitar. He's <laughs> such a joyous and outgoing and happy-go-lucky kind of bloke. How much does that public persona match your private demeanour? Be honest. <laughs> yeah, be honest. Um, well, you should ask my family yeah, that that's question, right. shouldn't you? Yes. Well, I, I, my year four report said Colin is outspoken. I didn't know what outspoken meant. I you know, brought the report <laughs> home. I'd written a course on the bus, and uh, and my parents sort of had a chuckle about this, and I still wasn't quite sure what it what it meant but I've always enjoyed the um, you know I, I would be the class clown but you know I was entertaining myself as much as other people yeah. in that and so it is it is a natural sort of part of the because there are very outgoing people on stage or in public yep. who are very quiet and private in, yeah I in would say I mean I love 
you know, I enjoy reading and I enjoy reflecting and I enjoy thinking about the mechanics, the, the thoughts behind what drives us and what makes our what makes us tick as people and as as a society and community and and my faith. You know, I, that's a rich, deep thing. You know, it's not a superficial thing. So even though I dress up in inflatable chef suits and you know pr- prance around saying him and her and you and me, we need the gospel recipe. You know, that's it, it's sort of hilarious, but it's also. I really believe that we yeah. need the gospel recipe. You know, that's the recipe. Who, who for says life you can't have hope. fun in it? Too. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to know how your kids have moved with you in this business. I guess it's lots of fun in their early days when they see dad singing and performing like that. Is there a moment when they cross the line where they think, Dad, this is so daggy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I guess that's the territory, you know, of teens. And my, my eldest is 22 now nearly, and uh, my youngest is 15. I suppose, too, they see that faith is something that we've sought to make inhabit the fabric of our lives and that that's been the driving thing of my kids' Christian music. They sense that and they smell that and uh, they, they still, they'll have a bit of a crack, but they're great advocates, you know, and that's in fact, great. which is lovely. There's a song in one of the film clips I did where they sat on a boat with me and we sang He Died Upon the Cross, which is a simple little song with actions. And I think my eldest was maybe eight or nine at the time. And I did say to them, look, I'm just making a DVD now. Would you guys sit on a boat and sing He Died Upon the Cross again? Because I know people like to see my kids and the fact that you've grown up and the fact that you'd bear testimony to that uh, I think would mean a lot to people and they all said yes so they haven't done it yet but I think that was a delight to me hope they do you've won nine golden guitars as I said before Aria's Apras is there one highlight in that kind of world that you can name awards you know they're a great recognition if you don't win it's not necessarily a statement of the quality or the worth of what you do Slim Dusty has been much lauded and celebrated I think I wrote a song about him which is on the new record called it's called Missing Slim and the fact that his music penetrated people's lives just quietly and privately and they're fixing a fence and Slim's on the cassette player coming out of the ute that's their music and it's about them and I thought well that's that's really substantial. The, the awards can come and go, but the place that your music plays in lives and is, is really significant. So it's a, maybe it sounds a bit corny, that's the greatest reward. But, no, but it's an but interesting to, answer. Yeah. But to stand back and, and think these songs, whatever they might be, really mean something to people, or, or when they do, you know, that's very substantial. Whereas, you know, awards tarnish, you know, interest passes. Your musical persona... And the work that you do is very well established and very much loved. Is there a private musical persona? You're at home on Saturday night with a family or really good friends. What's the music that you'd like to put on? I am very appetite driven, so sometimes I'm a bit, don't know what I feel like. No, I'll start an album. No, no, it's not that one. You know, and I'll just be looking for that music that's the fit. And I don't always know what it might be. It might be surprising. But it's a wider range of the stuff that you do. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've always loved singer-songwriters. Probably the the greatest musical joy for me is discovering just a great song and often delivered very simply. I mean, I don't know if people saw the... Was it Prince Caspian, the Narnia movie? And there's a song at the end of that... uh, I'm not sure if she wrote it by Regina Spector. It's just a beautiful, beautifully sung song, tender words. And just sometimes you hear a song and it's, that's, to me, is just marvellous. You know, I guess that's what keeps you writing too because you, yeah. you like to uh, think that you might 
ring the bell from time to time <laughs> if you hammer hard enough, you know, at the carnival. <laughs> on and on. So tell us about the songwriter sessions, your latest interesting project. It's um, perhaps there's some of that private thing mixed up in that. I've spent, especially say the last ten years, with my kids' Christian music. It's been well received. I felt like there's a, a, a vital part to play out there, and um, and that's really driven quite a productive and prolific presence in in all that. And uh, and in the meantime, I've been co-writing with other artists, country artists particularly, Lee Kernigan and Troy Cassadaly and others, and having quite significant success with that. So I felt like I wanted to re-stoke the fires of my songwriter career as an artist. So looking at this body of work and saying, you know, there's some of these songs that I could come into the studio and perform with the artists themselves and reinterpret a little and do it very live and Garth Porter who I've collaborated with a lot in songwriting is a great producer and he agreed to produce it and so we had this crazy two days where nine guests came in a parade of guests there was a video crew we're recording we're not using headphones we're just out in the open for our audio and so it's all very different the result is a very live you get that sense of is this a, is this a lounge room or is <laughs> in fact at one stage garth porter walked in it's his studio and it was all happening around him and he said it's a music room Yes. You know, and it was Lovely. like, yeah. it was just delightful. Cause I mean, all that you did it over two days. It was an ambitious move. But, you know, in this age of digital technology and you can go back and you can fix up and you can chop and paste and do all those things, it's meant that things get very tidied up. It's a little, sometimes I feel like it goes from redwood, you know, California redwood to a toothpick. Impeccable, <laughs> you know, beautiful toothpick. But where did all the, the you know, the gnarly bits go? So there's plenty of imperfections, but hopefully the feeling is that, you know, a sense of the creative community that's formed the songs. And chat. So when the song finishes, we still keep chatting sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. So it's because uh, people go to Nashville to record the silence between their uh, songs, you see, just to get the best quality silence they can get. But we just kept chatting. So uh, There's a lot of the land in these songs. Yeah. What form of words would you use to express your affection for it, your love for it, your connection with it? It's nice to get words that become a little invisible, you know, that become the springboard to people's impressions. And perhaps that's another thing I love about songwriting is and songwriters is that they propel you into places that you weren't necessarily going to go. And the most effective songs, probably the songwriter takes you there and sort of lets you go into it and you you become lost in something that is very personal and uh, so they facilitate that so you know I think it's a challenge with all the songwriting that I've done especially collaborations to find new ways of saying things that will keep it arresting and fresh and because I remember back when I was living in the in the bush and I sang a, I made up a song about the, the debutantes ball that happened in town and uh and one of the fellas in town said to me uh, after I performed it at uh, men's dinner one night, he said, you know, we do some funny things, don't we? You know, And he just reflected on, he'd had some objectivity about his life, just a humorous song really, but it was nice. It, it had been celebrated and chuckled over and uh, perhaps he would have just gone to the debutante's ball and come home, woken up with a headache the next morning and that'd be that. But it lives yeah, through the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a favourite spot in this wide brown land that you love? That's uh, an interesting question because uh, I've seen a lot of it, you know, I guess as you would have professionally, you, you go, you travel a lot and you, then you're on task, you know, you've got the gig, you've got the, the story and um, and so just to 
sort of be still in it and and enjoy it. There's lots of places I'd like to get back to. I think the desert's an interesting place because its impact on me was initially this is really a bit ugly. You know, it's it's harsh and it's monotonous. And 12 months of living in the desert, you know, it's funny because biblically there's a great theme of yes, wilderness, yes. and yeah. wilderness is a place of testing and transforming and growth. Yes, that's right. And I think part of that is that the desert starts to just do its work it makes you small it's interesting how much bigger you feel after being made to feel small great stuff so sir may you delight us with a song i would i I would love to sing uh, a song now um it's a song that i sang uh, on the the new album with lee kernigan and sarah store unfortunately they were unable to be here today (laughs) so the part of lee and sarah we forgive them already I'm just a songwriter working my trade I travel with swag full of songs that I've made And if you've got the time I'll sing you a song symphonies You're the master on the Pentecost You are kakadoos Summer thunder A dreaming place under the Southern Cross Who'll come waltz in Matilda Waltz in Matilda with me Come waltz in Matilda Waltz in Matilda with me You're the campfire By the river gums You're the convict and the refugee And you're the bush kid From Kapunda On the beaches of Gallipoli you're the battler and your fit income And you are old mate's wrinkled smile And you're a mother calling her children And you're a coory lullaby And who'll come a waltz in Matilda Waltz in Matilda with me Come a waltz in Matilda Waltz in Matilda with me Come a waltz in Matilda. Waltz. 
Waltzing Matilda with me Who'll come waltzing Matilda Waltzing Matilda with me You can sing Who'll come waltzing Matilda Waltzing Matilda with me Sing along to the radio Who'll come waltzing Matilda Waltzing Matilda with me Waltzing Matilda with me Great song of our land, our great land. Song of Australia by Colin Buchanan. Colin, it's been such a treat to meet you and hear you. Thank you so much indeed for joining us on Open House. Thank you, Lee. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.